Thanks for tuning into the Texas Family Law Podcast, where we provide you tips and insight to help you navigate divorce and child custody situations. This is Brian Walters. And I'm Jake Gilbreth. We are the managing partners at Walters Gilbreth PLLC with offices in Houston, Austin, and Dallas. And we're both board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. Your hosts are broadcasting from the Lone Star State of Texas, where both have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates, both inside and outside the courtroom. All right, so welcome back for this episode. Brian and I both had, uh, we were just talking about quite a few hearings this last week, and given that it's July 2020, all of our hearings were virtual hearings, and I know up here at the office right now preparing for a virtual hearing tomorrow, and Brian, I know you've got a couple this week too, so I thought that'd be a good topic uh, to talk about virtual hearings. So my background, as most people know, it's most of the courthouses, if not all of them, have been under a um, stay-at-home order since about mid-March is whenever most of the courthouses shut down. And we've been doing, probably it took about a week or so um, before virtual hearings started getting set up. As we sit here right now, it's July 12th of 2020, I would say probably uh, most of the urban surrounding counties for the urban areas are are virtual. There's a few that do in-person. I mean, then all the urban areas are almost exclusively virtual, except for you know, things that statutorily have to take place in person. So I guess first question, Brian, before we get to the logistics of it, how have you uh, been handling the virtual hearings? How do you like it? Yeah, they've gone remarkably well. I mean, you know, we're in, we're both in big urban areas, so it's nice to not have to drive you know, way out to the some of the outlying counties. That saves time and money for everybody. And I think we've kind of figured out that you can pretty much get the same type of evidence in uh, that you could otherwise. It's also real nice for a lot of our clients also, or our witnesses are, are out of state or out of town. And, you know, they used to have to fly in and then the hearing might not happen and those kind of things. We don't have any more of those problems, which is really nice. I've got a hearing on Friday that involves a bunch of people. Our clients are, and witnesses are mostly in Virginia. And, um, you know, they would have had to fly a bunch of people out here and, and now we'll just uh, all log into Zoom and Save everybody time and money. It's nice. Yeah. It's uh, pretty nice. Yeah, it's forced efficiency. I mean, kind of my same experience too. We had that, you and I had that case with the uh, jurisdictional issue between Mexico and Texas. And we ended up prevailing on that. And the Texas court actually declined jurisdiction and sent the case to Mexico where our client was. And uh, a lot of the testimony, including the client was in Mexico and documents were from, from Mexico and our client had a lawyer in Mexico who participated in the hearing, but yeah, in the past, well, that would have been a huge logistical nightmare. Uh, you'd actually have to go and get permission from a judge to get telephonic testimony or te- testimony by Skype or Zoom. And, and, you know, a lot of times my experience was those would, those would get denied, particularly for final trials as a judge would say, you know, too bad, you got to fly your witnesses in, which I was kind of always amazed by, especially if it wasn't a party witness, but you know, now it's it's like you were saying, Brian, just, just log on and participate. It definitely opens up the courts. To that end, I mean, I'm curious how y'all are doing in your area, Brian, your experiences. I, I know in uh, Travis County, a lot of the hearings that I've done, they're live streaming them on, on YouTube in order to um, keep the open courts provisions intact. The 
Texas Constitution requires that we have open courts and that it's a public forum. And the way they're handling it in this area is uh, they just live stream the hearing to YouTube. What have you seen judges do? Similar here. And then typically I think they delete them right after that, but they're, but they're live when they happen. And yeah, that seems to not be an issue. You know, they will typically sort of like we did before, they'll kind of exclude a, a potential testifying witness from, from being one of those people observing it. But um, that's a little hard to enforce probably, but otherwise that's, uh, that's been fine. I haven't really had any problems with that either. So um, again, we're, you know, people, you know, seem to seem to not be thinking that was possible, and then we switch gears and and did it, and, and it's going just fine. Well, let's talk logistics. I know each county has has different procedures and different local rules, and you know, I know Brian, both you and I have preached to our associates that you have to know the local rules, and not just the local rules for one county, but for all the counties that you're practicing in. And if you ask your associates and or you or I, we can you or me, we could probably name 15 different ways that the various counties or sometimes even different courts within the county do their virtual hearings. But generally speaking, and let me know if you disagree, Brian, I think generally speaking, most of them have procedures that require that all your exhibits be exchanged beforehand and pre-marked and then uploaded to a share folder. A lot of times, I think a lot of courts are using Box, for example, and it requires us to organize our exhibits, get an exhibit list, and upload those exhibits before the hearing starts. That way, everybody's looking at the same documents, um, and we can screen share if need be. But if, if not, if we're not screen sharing, the judge still has uploaded on his or her box the exhibits that are going to be offered, and and that's a step that takes place before. And I know several counties are requiring that you file what's called a proposed disposition of issues before the hearing, even if it's just a temporary orders hearing or a motion to compel when it may be before COVID more typical for those type of documents to only be required for a final trial, or it may be more common for a final trial for exhibits to be exchanged beforehand. And, and now the way I see most of the courts doing, or actually all the courts that I've dealt with, are requiring proposed disposition of issues and exhibits being uploaded before the hearing. And I know it varies from county to county. I know Travis County, for example, I think is 24 hours before your hearing. So you know, I think, excuse me, it's 12 hours before the hearing, which I think is interesting because if you have an 8.30 a.m. hearing, that means that people aren't uploading exhibits till 8.30 p.m. the night before. Not sure what the use is in that, but but that's the requirement. Well, Fort Bend, I think, is three business days, for example. What what are you seeing when, in the courts that you're practicing in, Brian? Exactly that. Not only a variation, but a variation that changes over time. And yeah. in, the, in the large urban counties that do, do not have central dockets, for example, Dallas County or Harris County, you, it's even more complicated because each individual judge is sort of an individual fiefdom and they've got their own rules, which also change. And so we have you know, procedures in place that not only do you need to check the local rules and state rules, but then you need to check your particular court's rules and you need to check it a couple of days before the hearing in case they've decided to update it, which is I mean, some of them have on their fourth and fifth versions of, of those rules. And some places are still allowing in-person hearings, either just or setting them that way. And some of them are allow are setting them as a default to be in-person and then allowing one side or the other to opt out of it. But that's a very specific provision to do that. Then on to, to further complicated, it's it's a somewhat erratic enforcement of those rules. I had a hearing on Thursday where we had followed all the rules. The other side didn't 
I just basically didn't brief the exhibit. You gave the example for Bing County. It was, you know, three days before we filed ours. They didn't do it. There was a real specific provision in this court. Do not hand anybody any documents. It's only electronic. And this guy walked in on the day of the hearing, three days late, and handed me a stack of <laughs> exhibits. And so I brought this all to the judge's attention, hoping I just went on, you know, on technicality like that. And unfortunately, the judge, you know, wanted to hear some actual facts, which we went on. But, you know, it's always nice to win on the technicality if you can. So yeah. uh, it's all over the place. And I think it's still a moving target because we just don't know when this is going to let up or, you know, if it's going to be in a straight line or continue to be back and forth. It's just really hard to tell. Yeah, and on those rules, I mean, I've, I've, I've sort of noticed, and it's and it's same too, just how you conduct yourself in the hearing, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. You know, I, I haven't seen any judges take a completely hard and, and fast line on it, just, sorry, these are the rules, too bad, you didn't do it, because I think they're giving people a lot of flex, because it's so new, and, you know, it's watching lawyers follow, follow these kind of basic rules is sometimes sometimes an interesting thing to, to, to see. But we're, I know you and I are both obsessive about it. Make sure it's, you know, exactly done per the local rules. Because even if a judge gives somebody a pass, we never want to be that law firm or those lawyers that are having to ask for forgiveness for not following the rules correctly or not knowing the rules. I think that obviously it looks bad for your client. I mean, they're paying us all this money to represent them. We can at least read the rules of how the, the hearing is conducted. But then on top of that, I do think it probably even though they may not say it in a judge's mind, it's going to have some weight. If you show up prepared and the other side doesn't, there's going to, you don't want to start off a hearing with the judge frustrated about you, with you. And, you know, I've sort of noticed that. And now let's talk about kind of how these hearings are conducted, but I've kind of noticed that frankly, and even how the hearings are conducted. I mean, it's some counties it's zoom. I know in Williamson County, they're using Microsoft teams uh, for some of the hearings and other counties. I think Doe County is using Citrix. I think Harris County and surrounding counties is using it, Zoom. Sometimes, like you said, it's a hybrid. Some people are in person, other people zooming in. The way I read the current Supreme Court order is the court has to give everybody the option of, of participating remotely if they want to. But being in those hearings, and we've been doing this for, you know, three or four months, and still sitting there and watching lawyers go, you know, how do I unmute myself? How do I share my screen? How do I scroll through this? I mean, we were, uh, when, when this first came out, Brian, you and I, I mean, we conduct business. I mean, you're, you, you live in Houston most of the time and spend time between Houston and Dallas. I spend most of my time in Austin and go to Dallas and Houston. So, I mean, we talk all the time. I mean, we run a business uh, this way. And so for us doing it was, was no big deal. But just watching other lawyers at the beginning, even still till this day, I still sit through hearings watching Lawyers try to figure out how to screen share or scroll through PDFs, and then they have to call their paralegal in, to look over their shoulder, and show them how to click, and this and that. It's it's frustrating. I think it gives us an advantage um, that hearings tend to go a lot smoother on our end of things. So talking logistics, I know each county is different, but generally speaking, once a hearing's set, there's a certain amount of time before the hearing happens, we get an invite either by Zoom or Microsoft Teams or however the, the court is doing it. The client gets that. Any witnesses that are involved get the invite. Uh, and then about five minutes before the hearing starts, and I always tell my clients to do it five minutes before because you never know if there's going to be glitches. Uh, five minutes before the hearing starts, we log in, and typically everybody's parked in a waiting room, and there's, there's a message saying the judge will be with you shortly. And then once the judge is ready, he or she kind of clicks the 
to let everybody in the meeting and then everybody kind of shows up at once. I see most judges start off with everybody on mute, introduce himself or herself and kind of talk logistics. And then after that, frankly, I was prepping my client today for a trial we have starting tomorrow. Frankly, it kind of just goes like court does. I mean, judge calls the case, you know, opening statements from the lawyers, call your first witness. You know, as far as exhibits, they're pre-marked, so you're screen sharing as opposed to, you know, walking up to the witness and showing it to them. But otherwise, you know, frankly, it proceeds as a hearing should. If anything, it's a little smoother because people don't talk over each other uh, like they do in the courtroom because it really frustrates people on Zoom if people are talking over each other. And a judge can just mute you, which they can't do in person. I'm sure they all wish that they could uh, sometimes, but in a uh, in-person here in a Zoom hearing, they can just hit mute and it makes things a lot easier. Uh, is that your experience, Brian, of kind of how how it's gone? Yeah, exactly. And you know, they'll they'll typically do them this kind of Zoom tile view where you've got you know ten to ten to thirty little mini pictures on the screen and each one is of a, of an attorney. And then typically your clients logging in elsewhere. So they've got their own. I've seen some lawyers try to put their, had a hearing like this about two weeks ago where the lawyer tried to put, I guess they were sitting next to him in their office and tried to put the camera on him and it kind of cut each one of them in half because it wasn't big enough for the both of them, which I didn't think was real, real effective way to present things. But yeah, and then they just kind of go through it. And it's remarkable how, for me, how few people seem to understand you're really in court, just may not be in a physical courtroom and don't dress appropriately or don't have, uh, and then seem to be totally fine doing strange things while the camera's running, not necessarily bad things, but just uh, not, not terribly professional outlook. And, you know, you've got clients and the other client, the, the opposing side looking at you and think there've got to be a lot of clients in particular, and I'm certainly judges who are thinking, you know, is, is this really a lawyer? <laughs> should, yeah. should someone be paying this lawyer? Uh, it's, it's kind of amazing to me, but you know, we're sort of like the people who can't figure out how to turn, turn on their sound with the Zoom. It's amazing, but common. Yeah, I had um, a pretty complex hearing, day-long hearing. The lawyer did the whole thing without a jacket on, which I just I don't know. Maybe maybe that makes more old school. But I, I mean, the judge didn't say anything particular about. Do you kind of see the strange look she was giving him? Of you know, this is court. I think you know. I think the very first week of COVID, everybody kind of thought, well, do I have to wear a suit? Do I not wear a suit? And I think every single judge I've dealt with says you need to dress like this is still court. I mean, you need to be respectful to the system, uh, respectful to the judge, just like you would in person. We tell our clients to do that. And yeah, so I guess that message hasn't gone around completely. The, other side, last week, I had a hearing on, on Friday. I told my client mom to dress professionally, which she did. And the, the, the dad showed up with a polo shirt on. And I guess you couldn't see what he was, you know, what type of pants he was wearing, but he had a polo shirt on, which I, I thought was a little disrespectful. The judge that we were in front of was kind of a more traditional judge, and I don't think appreciated it. He was in a tie, in a suit with his robe on. I was in a suit. My client was dressed professionally, and, and that was – that was a little odd to me, and I, and I do think it makes makes a difference. Well, I guess let's wrap up with Brian. Can you? What are some tips or kind of do's or don'ts that you're giving clients with regards to Zoom hearings? Well, we're sort of similar to to our own staff. We've, uh, you know, I've written up some rules that that we use for internally for our staff um, in the Houston office, at least, and and we've got some for the clients too. And and a lot of them are really basic things, like we just talked about about you know well lit appropriate place. And some of our clients prefer to come into the office and we have a big enough office where we can 
you know, safely put them in their own conference room and social distance and everybody's fine with that. Most of them prefer to do it at home. And, and, you know, again, that just dress appropriately. Don't forget the judges watching you, those type of things, you know, don't yell at your kids, you know, cuss at your kids in the middle of the hearing when they, you know, when they interrupt you or something like that in a custody hearing, probably not a good idea. So, you know, just some basic things like that, because it is kind of easy to forget that it's a courtroom procedure, just like any others with exactly the same serious consequences. So, Hopefully, we've made a good impression. I think we have so far and, and continue to do that. Yeah, that's pretty much the same thing I'm telling my clients. The only, you know, and I emphasize, you know, particularly on Zoom or Teams, you don't, don't talk over each other. Just like court, only talk when if you're up on the quote-unquote witness stand or if somebody asks you a question. It is, temp- it is probably more tempting over Zoom for a client to want to chime in or talk, even though he or she has a lawyer. You have a lawyer there. You're supposed to talk through your lawyer. And then the other reminder that sometimes you know, at the beginning, I think people were forgetting to tell their clients is that you can't, me- if your client's testifying, if my client's testifying, I-, I remind them, I can't text you or message you while you're testifying. Just like if you were on the wit, you know, if we were live in the courtroom, I wouldn't be up on the witness stand next to you. I can't text with you while you're on the witness stand. I tell them to make sure to be in a place where it's just them. There's not people that can listen in on what they're saying or going to be interrupting. Make sure they don't have any notes in front of them. A lot of judges check to make sure you don't have anything in writing in front of you. But really the texting one's the biggest one that I, I emphasize with clients because when my client's not testifying, I do want them texting with me. And I usually text with them on my cell phone or we'll set up a Slack channel with them. I, I typically don't use the private message feature on Zoom. I just have this paranoia that me or my client's going to accidentally send a message to the whole group rather than a private message that you can do on Zoom. So I usually tell clients, if you're not testifying, you know, I'm going to be texting with you, messaging with you. If you have notes that you want to pass me, just like if we were in court, you know, I may give a client a yellow pad and say, pass me notes if you want. I mean, and I'll try to read them if I can. If I, if I don't, it's not that I'm ignoring you. I'm just concentrating on the witness, but I tell them to text with me or message with me and but just don't do it when you're up on the witness stand. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the tricks of the trade. It's, you know, I think, like we said at the beginning, it's gone gone pretty smoothly. With I think is a credit to the court system and the judges and the administrators. That I know have worked really hard on this. It's it's changing, but like you said, we don't know how long it's going to be. So, and I assume when this is all over, when shelter in place or uh, the stay at home orders are are lifted, or there's a vaccine or whatever, there's already talk that probably. At least some counties or some district judges will do hearings like this for shorter hearings, like motions to compel or continuances or something like that, which makes a lot of sense. So hopefully we'll be able to take all these skills and carry them on to the new world. We'll, we'll see. But as this goes on, we're definitely prepared and ready to handle whatever they throw at us and do it better than anybody else does. So I guess let's wrap up with that. And we'll pick another interesting topic next week and we'll be back. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.